Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Academic Life channel here on New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Dana Malone. Today, we'll be talking to Dr. Karen Lewis, editor of the Kaleidoscope of Lived Curriculum, Learning Through a Confluence of Crisis, which is an edited collection through the Curriculum and Pedagogy Group. Karen is one of four editors, along with Kimberly Banda, Martha Brissano, and Eric Weber, who edited this volume. Karen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to have you back. Um, And I wonder, Karen, if you could begin by telling us a bit about yourself. Sure. Um, I am an uh, associate professor of teaching and learning at the University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley, which is situated um, in the borderlands region of um, of the state of Texas. Um, And literally where I park my car um, on my campus, I can see the border. Um, So we're that close to the border with Mexico. And I've been here about nine years. And prior to to coming here um, as a faculty member, I was working um, at another institution as an assistant provost for about nine years. And so I have some administrative background and I have faculty experience. Um, I'm originally from the Northeast. I'm uh, I was born and raised in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, and I've lived in a number of different places in my life. Um, but I was just thinking about my, my family and where we're all over the place. So I have a daughter who lives in London, one who lives in New York City. My brother lives in Hong Kong. Um, my extended family is on the West Coast, and I'm here in Texas. And so we're like scattered all over the place. Um, and that, that does come into play with my, my perspectives and my view of the world and my experience with different people. Um, so that kind of comes into play when, when I take on projects, um, which we'll talk a little bit more about, I'm sure. It's just the varied perspectives and experiences of different people. Um, but I started my career as an early childhood specialist, and then I was a high school teacher and a teacher of the deaf, and then an administrator at a research university, and now I'm here at UTRGV. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, And as listeners know, I usually, um, well, I will always kind of name if I know someone or how I know someone or how I'm connected to a guest. Um, And so Karen is a second-time guest. We had her on a while ago talking about faculty versus administrator roles. Um, And I do know Karen personally. We met at the University of Kentucky when I was a doc student, and she was – directing the uh, learning center there, the academic support center for the university. And, um, and we've uh, maintained a friendship and um, been colleagues for many, many years now. And I just recently was able to reconnect with her in person um, after many years when we went to a conference together just last month. And it was um, really lovely to do that. And uh, we got to chatting about um, the book and um, I thought, what a, what a wonderful um, topic it would be for our listeners because um, there's some nuance to to editing this volume. So um, as we get into it, let's um, let's start um, for people who are not familiar with the book. Let's start with just sort of a brief description or overview of the book itself, as well as the edited collection. Sure. Um, so the Curriculum and Pedagogy Group um, publishes both a uh, academic journal and they publish um, one book each year. And so there's a series of um, edited volumes that they they produce, and it's it's pretty remarkable that to publish uh, an edited book in a year 
Um, usually it takes um, a couple of years to produce a book. So, um, but each year they, they send out a call for um, editing teams to propose an idea for an edited collection. Um, and last, or well, two years ago, um, I put together my group, um, two of whom are, are doctoral students, graduate students um, of mine, and they were in um, a writing for inquiry course that I was teaching, and they they stood out in the course and um, in many ways. Um, and so I invited them to be on the editing team. And then a former colleague and friend um, in South Carolina, Eric Weber, um, who works as the um, outreach coordinator for the state of South Carolina for um, interpreting services for the deaf and hard of hearing. Um, he and I have worked together on various projects in the past, and I served on his dissertation committee when he earned his doctorate. Um, and so I invited him because we work really well together. Um, so we put together the team, and then we put together a proposal. And it was one of five proposals um, that the Curriculum and Pedagogy Publishing committee um, vetted, and we ended up winning the, the bid for the book. It's very exciting. <laughs> I've never done it before, so it was a big learning curve. Hmm. Well, tell us about, um, and I think um, we'll probably unpack a little bit more the, the process, but um, talk just a little bit about the book itself, the significance of the kaleidoscope, and um, just, you know, the overall um, aim and, and intention for the yeah, book. Sure. So <clears throat> when my, when I got this team together to write this proposal, we very intentionally wanted to be broadly inclusive. We wanted to attract, um, a, a wide variety, not only of scholarly styles, but, um, and approaches, but, um, scholars and perspectives and experiences and, of course, we're in the pandemic and um, we were hearing and I was hearing a lot of um, stories about challenges and experiences and navigating this really bizarre world that we were in. Um, and so collectively, we decided we wanted to be as inclusive as possible to create something um, that would be more of an experience to read. And we were trying to th- Uh, think of a metaphor for what we were trying to put together. And we came up with a kaleidoscope and in a kaleidoscope, there are, you know, various different colors and shapes and pieces of, of objects. And then every, as you turn the kaleidoscope, you get a different view and a different, it can be messy, but it can also be beautiful. Um, And then you turn it again and you get a, a different combination. And so that was what inspired our proposal and um, we really wanted to make it something different um, and unique as a collection. Um, so that's where it, it started was with the team and I talking about what we really wanted to create if we won the bid for the book. Um, and it started with that metaphor of the kaleidoscope. Hmm. Talk to us a little bit about um, the organization of of the book. So each section you utilize kind of elemental symbols of sky, sun, earth, and fire. Um, talk just a little bit about how, how that came into play or, or your, your decision to, to use those uh, symbols. Sure. So what was, what was interesting, we, when we put out the call for proposals for chapters or creative pieces, 
Um, we put it out very broadly, um, internationally, and um, throughout not only the curriculum and pedagogy group organization, but other organizations that members are affiliated with. To graduate students, um, we put out a, a very, we threw out a very wide net, and and we got a lot of different um, and varied and really um, unique pieces submitted for um, our consideration. Um, so after going through the, the process of, of vetting those proposals and then inviting um, authors and groups of authors to um, submit a full chapter or creative piece, um, those that we ended up with after going through the peer review process, um, the final pieces, we were trying to figure out how to organize them because they were so varied um, and they started to kind of thematically fall into four buckets. Um, so those are the four sections, but they're, you know, they're related. So they're not distinct, you know, four distinct um, thematic uh, clusters of, of pieces. Um, and in our discussions, um, we, were, we were thinking about seasons. We were thinking about um, like four seasons or four colors or something to kind of capture um, you know, the essence of the, the loosely gathered clusters of um, pieces. And, um, and then we, we started thinking about how es- many of the pieces talk about essential aspects of our lives. And so we started thinking about essential elements for life. Um, and that's how we came up with the, the four elements to kind of represent the four, four um, sections of the book. Mm. And so I know, I know you hit on this um, a little bit before, but I want to kind of circle back to, um, you know, the process of developing this idea um, and what that, what that was like for you um, in the context of the the larger editorial group. Um, you know, there's uh, four of you trying to do this work. That's, that's a, that's a decent size um, group to, to kind of be doing this conceptual um, work and, and thinking about it. Can you talk a little bit more about just that process of, of, um, of what that looked like, you know, for, for you all in developing the idea of the book and, um, and also, you know, as, as you were doing the editing and, and, and processing, like even how you were going to break it down, um, talk a little bit about your process as a team. So we, we had a, a couple of different, um, technological connections. So we would meet, you know, through like zoom video conferencing, um, very frequently and, and also of course, communicating through email. And then we had a text messaging, um, group, so we were in constant communication with one another, but really the the in depth um, conversations were through video conferencing um, on a regular basis um, and sharing ideas and um, and our vision and and trying to come to um, a consensus on what we really wanted to create. I you know honestly as the lead editor, I took on you know my shoulders the bulk of the leadership for the the team and having two um two students on the on the team who are you know working parents and have a lot of other things going on and Eric also full-time you know working and parent and um and so since mine are grown and um and I was uh, I took on the lead for it so 
scheduling those and, and, and leading the conversation, asking the questions really kind of fell to me as the lead editor. Hmm. And so this is the 2021, um, edited collections. So, you know, I'm imagining, I know that you did the bulk of this during uh, the pandemic, um, during, you know, 2020. Um, and, and as you said, you have graduate students who are parents and, and everyone's kind of juggling multiple roles. Um, what was that process like editing this book on, you know, the confluence of crisis in the middle of a pandemic and doing it you know, via, I know you were all in different parts of the country as well. Um, did you talk about that? Was that part of even just kind of how the work is mirroring the, mirroring the process? Yes, yes. It was, it was, you know, we were acutely aware of, of our own participation in the very phenomena that we were trying to um, reflect in, in this edited series, edited uh, collection. Um, and, and often our conversations would, would, um, you know, kind of digress into those into those uh, areas because, um, like Kimberly and, and Martha, you know, their kids were at home trying to do school remotely, and they were trying to work remotely and help their kids do school remotely. And then some of the pieces that were coming in are talking about those very experiences from from other um, parents and educators and scholars. Um, so we could really relate to a lot of the pieces. And we were delighted to get those pieces because that was what we wanted. We wanted to share the stories of, of people's experiences as we were still going through them. So often there's sort of an evolution over time uh, when you have an idea from an idea to the final product. Um, so how did the original idea evolve into the actual book? Were there a lot of different iterations? Was it, you know, talk to us a little bit about that, that evolution process from the idea to the final product. Well, it, it wasn't, it didn't evolve vastly different because we were trying to be so open and inclusive. Our original proposal was, was very open. Um, and so we didn't, you know, strictly define the product from the beginning. Um, we left it open to emerge as whatever it, you know, whatever we got and, and whatever it became. So it kind of took shape over time. Um, and, and it was, you know, it was interesting as lead, I received everything through, um, an email that I set up and I tried to set up, you know, an organizational structure so that I could keep track of everything. And I, I kept the other, um, editors on my team as blind editors in case I needed a, a, a second peer reviewer, which I, I did end up needing. We, we invited, um, those who those authors who had um, been accepted for the the volume to be one of the double blind peer reviewers of other pieces that were accepted, and then I reached out to curriculum and pedagogy council members um, to be second peer reviewers also, and um, a couple of scholars beyond the organization as well. Um, and in doing all of that, sometimes somebody just wasn't able um, to, you know, fulfill the, the responsibility of, of doing a peer review. Um, so I had my team do the, the second peer review on those couple that ended up needing a second one. Um, and then when we, we finalized 
all the pieces that were going to be in the book and the peer reviews were complete, then it became open to all four of us to see who had written what and who was accepted and, and what the reviewers had said um, to then do our review of every piece and organize the book. It's a lot. <laughs> I, you know, I have had never done it before. So I was trying to stay super organized and, um, and conscientious. And, you, you know, I have like over 40 authors to, to stay in touch with on multiple, multiple times throughout the process and be available to respond to their questions and follow up with those um, that missed deadlines and things um, a little bit. It's like herding cats, you know, <laughs> as the saying goes. Well, it, it, as you were talking to back up a little bit about like how the idea, the evolution of the idea from idea to, to the final product, it sounded very, very qualitative mm-hmm. <laughs> research yes. design, very emergent design yes. um, and responsive to, uh, to, you know, what you were seeing, what you were receiving and intentionally open mm-hmm. to, to evolve and to um, emerge um in kind. Um, That's very true. As a qualitative researcher, I definitely approached it from, from that kind of um, lens. Yes. I mean, as you're talking, that's totally what I thought about is like, you have sort of a loose plan and then you leave, you know, a decent amount of room for that emergent design of seeing what, what, what comes up, um, what you find, what is, how you need to shift and change and how the final, um, products piece sort of, um, matches and aligns with, um, with, yeah, the participants and the data and all the things. So, um, it sounded very much like that. Um, so I guess just, um, I was going to hit on this, but since we're here, let's talk a little bit about the length. Um, and so the book has 34 chapters. So if you would talk to us a bit about, um, yeah, the editorial decision about its length. And then also you hit on this a bit, just about that process of, um, of reviewing, uh, with, with that number of, uh, submissions and, and authors. Right. So it sounds, you know, it, I, it sounds like a lot of chapters, but they're not all like full chapters. There, there's poetry in there, there, um, it, we did kind of max out the number of pages that the publisher, prefers for, for an edited volume, (laughs) but we really wanted to, you know, include, um, as many pieces and as many authors as we could. And, um, some of the pages reflect artwork and art projects that people, you know, engaged in. Um, and some were, you know, very short, brief, poetic pieces. And then there were full research chapters, and there were reflective pieces. So there's quite a variety in there as well. And that was what we wanted. We wanted a, you know, just like a kaleidoscope, a variety of shapes and sizes and and pieces and colors and experiences. Um, So yes, the Information Age publishers, um, those editors were were like, "Mm, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And it is the largest of, you know, the previous volumes in the edited series, I did note that it is big, but <laughs> also very, very, also very qualitative, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like we're, we're verbose um, and <laughs> we want to include um, all the voices as much as we can. Um, well, let's, let's talk a little bit about the spectrum of submissions um, that you got and that you received um, was really a response to the call mm-hmm. um, 
that you put out and um, and the ways that you and the other editors, I, I do believe, were intentional about blurring the lines of traditional scholarship. I mean, you talked about that a little bit. So talk about the call. Talk about the um, the, the spectrum of submissions and, and what you were trying to do in blurring those lines with this particular uh, volume. Yes, our, our call definitely um, invited a broad variety of, of um, approaches. And, and that is welcome in the curriculum and pedagogy group as an organization. They have an annual um, conference and the conference presentations vary also in, in style and content. Um, and, and so there's, there's an embrace of diversity, um, not only in the you know, traditional sense of diversity, but in diversity of scholarship. Um, and so we wanted to include um, that in our in our call, and specifically invited people to you know break beyond the traditional scholarship um, and aesthetic pieces and reflective pieces and uh, research and and theorizing. Um, so that was very intentional, and and we did get quite quite a variety. And we also wanted people to tie that experience in one way or another to one of or all of the the plural pandemics that we were experiencing um, and those those lived experiences. So we got a we got quite a number um, of submissions and quite a variety. Hmm. Um, talk to us a little bit about why that was important for you. Um, uh, from the intro, you know, there's a quote about that that this this publication elevates the voices and empowers marginalized groups to be heard. Mm-hmm. Um, so why, why was that important? Um, and was that, was that, was that an original goal from the very beginning? Um, talk to us a little bit about that, the importance of that and how that evolved or developed. Yes, that was definitely intentional um, from the beginning, namely because, you know, in the context of our world, we were seeing the impact of the, the COVID-19 pandemic um, disproportionately impacting people of color and marginalized populations, minoritized populations. Um, and, and that was, how, you know, seeing that in higher education and in educational settings and, you know, people who are really bearing the brunt of everything, you know, the, the essential workers and the, um, the healthcare workers and the, um, and the, the school teachers. And so we wanted to provide a space or create a space for all those experiences to be heard um, and not forgotten or not swept aside. Um, And so that was very intentional from the beginning. So when you, when you talk about, you know, you had, um, you know, that it ended up being, you know, 34 chapters and 40 authors. Um, and again, as you mentioned, you know, every chapter isn't a full like 25 or 30 pages. Some are just several pages of poetry. Um, there's different, different kinds of entry of entries. And, um, but, and, and you touched on this a little bit before, but I want to just kind of circle back. Um, what was the review process like for such a, such a large volume and then also such a diverse volume? Um, did, how did you, how did you all, did you have to think about it differently or approach it differently? Like what challenges did you face? Well, I I had never done it before, so (laughs) I I don't know what the, you know, the traditional approach is, but, um, we started receiving, um, proposals first. So, um, 
people would submit um, an abstract and then the, we, the team, would go through those abstracts. I blinded them and then I used a lot of the Google suite for for organizing and keeping different iterations of things. Um, and so I had a folder um, with blinded proposals and then um, had the editorial team, the four of us, read through them and um, discuss them and decide whether we wanted to invite them for a full piece, uh, to submit a full piece. And then once we agreed on which ones to invite, then I would send out those communications that to the authors um, that they were invited to submit a full piece. And then when the full pieces came in, I had to blind each one of those um, for them to be sent out for, for peer review, um, double-blind peer review, which means two different scholars um, can't tell who wrote it, um, review it and give their feedback, and then I have to collect that back and send it back to the authors. And then my editorial team, once we got the um, revised and improved in response to the reviewer's feedback, we would go through and we had to check to make sure that people actually responded to what the reviewers suggested and, and read through them again. Um, and that, that at that point was when we started to see emerging themes that would fall into like four sections of the book, kind of loosely collected. Um, we could have organized it differently, but that was, you know, we were kind of agreeing on this cluster of pieces seems to fall together nicely. And then, um, and then each of the four of us took one section and organized that section the way we felt that the order of those pieces should go. And then we would get back together and share with each other the, the organization of each of the four sections and our rationale and what our thought process. Um, and then either agree or give feedback to each other on maybe organizing it a little bit differently. And then um, ultimately putting it all together. And then all four of us reading through the whole book to make sure that it kind of flowed the way we intended. Um, and so that was part of our process. Hmm. Thank you. And the reason, you know, I, the reason I always ask about process is because for, for some listeners and probably I imagine for many, you know, they've, they've not been in the, in that seat before. Mm -hmm. Um, and part of what we like to do, um, here at the academic life is really try to kind of pull back the veil of some of the different pieces of the academic life. Um, and so if someone hasn't had the experience of being, um, a lead editor on, on an edited volume like this, then, you know, they won't know all the pieces that go into it. And Mm so, um, it may seem kind of like the mundane, you know, things that you're doing, but I think it's very helpful to understand what goes into um, a final product, what goes into these these books that we that we get, that we teach out of, or that we read as students. Um, and so, I, I, you know, just to kind of shed light on what, why is she asking that? Um, I I just think the process is really important to help. Um, to, to provide light for those who are not in, in that seat and, and who have not been, but maybe considering it or thinking mm-hmm. about doing it. Um, and, and even other scholars, you know, if, even if you've written your own book or your own article, you maybe haven't done an, um, you haven't been an editor of, of, um, a series like this. And so, so that's the whole, the whole purpose here is to kind of unpack that a little bit, um, for our listeners. Um, and in that vein and in, in that spirit, um, 
I know we we hit on this a little bit and you said that you were one of five proposals, but I was hoping maybe you could elaborate a little bit more on the proposal and the application process, um, even maybe like, you know, timeline, what that involved. Because you did say that, you know, this is um, a, a collection that's put out every year. So mm-hmm. I'm imagining the timelines are pretty tight. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's pretty intense. Um, so the Curriculum Pedagogy Group hosts their um, their annual uh, conference in October. And at that conference, they, um, they put out a call for the next edited book. And so shortly after uh, the middle of la- that October, um, I put together a, a proposal with, uh, after inviting my team and asking them if they were game to go for it. Um, and so I think it was late October, um, the, the um, publishing committee um, reviewed the teams of editors that proposed books um, and came to their determination. So, um, and they said there were five proposed books and all of them were really strong. Um, and so I felt, you know, I felt great about getting it because um, it was a, a quite a competitive process. Um, and I think it was our, our inclusive aspect that really intrigued the reviewers um, which won it for us, I think. Mm-hmm. And so that was in October and then, uh, or probably early November is when we got notification that we had been awarded the book. And, and then I started working with, um, two people on the, the curriculum and pedagogy, um, publication group, and they kind of helped guide the process, um, things to anticipate, things to make sure we do, you know, um, it's customary to have a call for proposals and then invite chapters and things like that. Um, so they were really helpful in mentoring mm. us through the process. And we're always available if I had questions um, or concerns. And they would check in with us periodically and see if we were kind of on track with the timeline we had mapped out. Um, and they kind of helped me see what the the publication of the book and working with the publishing company, what things had to be done by certain times in order for it to be, um, you know, an actual materialized book, published book by the following October. Um, so they helped with the, that timeline as well. Mm-hmm. And they introduced so, yeah. us to the publishing company editors as well. So we, it was nice. Yeah. It sounds like you had that built in support, which is nice, mm-hmm. which, which was offered through your, your the professional organization. Yes. So, um, could you speak a little bit about how um, an established edited collection like this through a professional organization is different than an edited volume, say through like a university press? So I think if, if you went through, you know, if you were just independently putting together um, an edited volume like this, um, you'd have to pitch a prospectus to a press, to a publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'd be dealing directly with the publisher. Um, I, I, you know, I haven't done that either. Um, so I was, I was very appreciative of the support and the, you know, kind of the roadmap of experience um, from the professional organization to kind of help guide us because it would have, and it would have taken longer, I'm sure, mm-hmm. um, had, had we been trying to do it independently. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It's, it, um, it sounds like the, 
you know, the structure was all there for the mm-hmm. support. And, um, and again, that they do this year after year. And so I imagine that you'll be on that team of support for, for the folks doing, doing books in um, subsequent years. Right. There's one um, underway right now. And, and um, I was just, I just did a review of one of their chapters, a peer review. So there's kind of this, you know, understanding that the people who published the, the edited volume prior to the one that I led, they were a resource for me also. And I could reach out to their authors and their editors for assistance or for peer reviews and things like that. And then I, in turn, the team that's working on, on the book right now for this coming year, I'm trying to support them also. Yes, it's, it's a, it sounds like a very wonderful kind of collaborative, supportive community in which to to do this and to gain experience mm-hmm. um, editing, both editing and writing and reviewing, mm-hmm. doing all, all of that. Um, so, you know, folks may, listeners may think about that from, from in their various professional organizations, wherever their professional homes are to look into that. Um, and you, I know you uh, mentioned this uh, a while ago, uh, just briefly, but, um, could you talk a little bit more about how you and the editorial team, um, marketed the call for the proposals? I know you said you kind of cast a wide net, um, but talk to us a little bit about, um, your process and how you did that or your rationale of maybe, um, uh, you know, you said you even went internationally. So, you know, um, how, do, how did you do that? Talk to us a little bit about that process. So we, we worked with the curriculum and pedagogy groups, uh, publishing group, uh, publishing committee. And they, um, they helped us with putting together like a flyer with the call. And then the, the council for the organization sent it out to all members of the organization. And then council members also sent it out to other um, professional organizations that they were affiliated with. I did the same. Um, my, you know, we use that kind of, you know, like in qualitative research, you talk about snowball recruiting. Snowball, yes. <laughs> snowball recruiting for, <laughs> for the call. Um, and, and so in that way, it was kind of a ripple effect, getting it out um, as broadly as we could. Okay. And it was on the website and, you know, in our, in our professional circles, like, you know, my colleagues here at UTRGV and other curriculum and pedagogy group um, council members reaching out to their colleagues at their institutions and putting that call out there locally for them too. Thank you. So um, at this point, um, what advice would you have for someone who's considering applying for an established edited collection like this one? What... Um, what advice would you have for someone and, or also, you know, what advice do you wish maybe you had on the front end? Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> make sure that you are extremely well organized and that you calendar time for this work. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's really good to have a team and a team that you can rely on. Um, I'm so grateful for my team because each one of us at different times ran into, you know, life with a capital L. Um, and so, so, you know, family members got COVID or they themselves got COVID or, um, you know, things came up, you know, family members passing away, things like that. So life events happening. And so having the team, um, people pitched in. And so, you know, for example, if, if, Kimberly got sick, then Martha would pick up what she was working on and 
you know, Eric needed some support, then I'd jump in and Kimberly would jump in. And so we could all help each other out um, when, you know, especially on this intense of a, of a timeline, um, we just simply couldn't wait. So then being, having a team you could pick up um, and being really good at communicating. So I think my advice would be to definitely have a team, one you trust and can rely on, um, and, you know, have a relationship with them that is open and communicative. Be super organized um, because the logistics and there's so many moving parts and little pieces that you don't want to lose. I was I was so afraid of missing an email from an author or, um, you know, somehow losing a piece that was submitted. You know, I didn't want that to happen. Um, so just being super conscientious about your organization and um, managing both your time and all the moving parts. Thank you. Thank you. What would you say is the most uh, or was the most enjoyable aspect of, of editing this? Volume? Oh, my gosh. Um, working with the with the authors and with the editing team, um, reading through the, the pieces, it was just it was so inspiring. Um, each one being so, so powerful and so different. I just really enjoyed um, the creative process and then um, seeing what people were experiencing and seeing their work. I learn every time I read other people's work. Um, and so that, that was very enjoyable. And then I think in the end, having birthed this actual book, I have it sitting right here, I have a hardcover copy. Um, it's just, it's, it's remarkable. It's great. And I love it. And I also working with um, the artist, Nancy um, is just a phenomenal artist and she's so attuned. I had one um, Zoom conversation with her and I was just talking her through our team's thought process and what we were imagining and asking her if she'd be interested in doing the cover art and maybe section art. And she came back, you know, I was just talking off the cuff with her and she came back with a draft of what she thought, you know, might be a good piece for the, the cover art and its original art for the book. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, my gosh, I feel like she was sitting in like a little bird listening in on our team, talking through what we were imagining for the book. Mm-hmm. And it was just beautiful. She's she's really attuned to what we what we were trying to accomplish. And even the section art, we hadn't decided the sections or the the elements yet. Um, when when she provided the section art, and I was like, "This is perfect." How did she? How did she know? <laughs> that was really enjoyable too to work with an artist. Hmm. Well, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful book. It's a beautiful collection of stories and voices and experiences and knowledge. Um, I highly recommend um, you know folks pick it up and. Um, and so glad to be able to highlight it here um, on the academic life. Um, as we um, are getting close to time, and b- before we wrap up, um, could you tell us a little bit about what you're working on now? Maybe a current project? Sure. So one of the chapters in in this book um, was written by a group of colleagues, and I. Um, there are now uh, there are four of us that write together um, and have been. Uh, researching and writing together and publishing and presenting together for over four years. Um, 
and we are working on two different symposia. Um, we're going to be presenting a symposium at a conference in May and a symposium in June um, for two different organizations. And we are writing our pieces right now, our independent pieces, because we do collective autoethnography. And so we're independently writing our pieces, and then we're getting together tomorrow um, to share our first you know, in, entry into this symposium and then to work through making it a collective for the symposia. So what we hope to do is from these two symposia to then have two um, publishable pieces to submit um, for publication. So that's what we're working on right now. Hmm. Um, Karen, thank you so much. Thank you for being on the show today and discussing the kaleidoscope of lived curriculum, um, learning through a confluence of crisis. Um, thank you for um, talking us through that process of what it was like to be the lead editor and, um, and just sharing your insights with us today. Well, thank you very much for having me. It was my pleasure. I'm Dr. Dana Malone. This is The Academic Life, and you've been listening to New Books Network. Please join us again.